Today I want to share with you four, four ways that you can become a friend of God. Four ways you can become a friend of God. And some of you may be thinking, well, Pastor, why would I want to be a friend of God? Why would I want to be like really close and connected with the Lord? Because uh, maybe I'm more comfortable being God's servant or I'm more comfortable being God's creation or maybe I'm uh, more comfortable with, with some distance between me and God. Why would I want to be God's friend? Well, there, there's several reasons. One, one of the reasons is we have influence with God. You know, in uh, the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis, God is about to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham has influence. And he goes and he negotiates and he persuades God. It's beautiful. Uh, also, we have a connection with God. We have assurances with God. Uh, we know that God's the one that will never leave us or forsake us. God is a, a friend that will stick closer than any brother. And we also know that the blessings of God flow from our friendship with him. So we have a lot, we have a lot of upside, a lot of pluses as we talk about the friendship with God. This whole series, Nearsighted, is talking about being near to God. I, I want to challenge you in the new year to get closer to God than you have ever been before. And wouldn't it be wonderful over the next 365 days to look back and to say, hey, this past year was the greatest spiritual journey with God that I ever had. I, I believe that, 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 that a big part of that is, is becoming a friend of of God. Now I've been having some problems with my eyes and uh, been having to up the glasses, you know, and I discovered recently that I'm farsighted. Farsighted means you see great far away, but you don't see so great up close and personal. I, I preach with an iPad up here and I have to constantly blow up the verses to be able to read them. Uh, my wife, on the other side, other hand, she's nearsighted. She doesn't see so great far away, but she sees great up close and personal. I talked to somebody before uh, our worship experience this morning, and, and, and they said that they're both. You know, I thought, man, that's really confusing, you know. <laughs> but as we draw near to God, spiritually speaking, how awesome would it be to see the world through the lens of constantly being close to God? What if every perspective that we had about our own circumstance and our own life and the world around us was seen through the lens of the nearness of God? And that's what it means to be nearsighted. Now, we're going to look at a couple of characters over the next few weeks. We're going to talk this morning about Abraham because Abraham was known as the friend of God. We're going to talk about King David. David was the man that was called the man after God's own heart. You could say he was nearsighted. Enoch walked with God for 300 years. He understood something about the nearness of God. And we're going to look at each one of these characters and see how they drew close to the Lord. But today, let, let's talk about Abraham, 
Um, I got some really great news for you. You can be as close to God as you choose to be. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, if you'll draw near to God, God will draw near to you. Did you know that no one is stopping you from being close to God? Your, your spiritual maturity, your spiritual growth is in your hands. Nobody can stop you from getting close to God. You're, you're the only one. And and the scripture tells us if we will draw close to God, then God will in turn draw close to us. So we're removing these barriers so that we can become nearsighted and see the world through the lens of being close to this great God. Uh, And the goal of this series is that as we get close to God, that we would feel God's presence that we would experience his comfort, that we would know what he's saying to us, and that we would more appropriately understand his ways. Amen? So let's look at this man, Abraham. Three times in the Bible, he's called the friend of God. And what a great title. Uh, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8 says, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my, say it with me, my friend. How about that? Now, I love this because, listen, this is not Abraham saying, God is my friend. This is God saying, Abraham is my friend. It would be easy for a person to just say, God is my buddy. But but God responds and, and God speaks about Abraham and he describes him as Abraham's my friend. Now, I don't know about you. I see that and I'm like, hey. Abraham, can you share the secret sauce with me? Talk to me a little bit about what it means to be a friend of God. In in James uh, chapter 2, verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. So James is quoting Isaiah. And uh, the term friend is, implies that God is a relational God. Did you know that God is not just some supreme deity that is laying down edicts in the heavens? God is a God who wants to be close to you. He wants to be close to me. He wants to be known. God does not want to be a mystery in our life. He wants to be someone who is endeared and someone who is close to us. Jesus referred to the 11 as his friends. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. So Jesus uses the same term about the disciples. Now, Judas uh, was not Jesus's friend, by the way. He, He was the one stabbing Jesus in the back. And sometimes when you got friends, you know, you have a Judas. And so Jesus is speaking to the eleven. Here, But he says, listen, you guys have been faithful. I call you, you're not servants. You're my friends. You're my friends. What what did the disciples know? What did Abraham know? Let's look at these four marks of a friend of God. And the first is faith. Listen, if you're going to be a friend of God, you got to be a person who has faith. Faith is. Is, is, is one of the words in Scripture that is synonymous with the character, with the man, Abraham. You can't talk about Abraham without talking about faith. And you can't talk about faith without talking about 
Abraham because Abraham is what we call the father of faith. He's the father of faith. And, and his story begins in the end of chapter 11 in the book of Genesis. And, and it, it really is unfolded all the way through uh, the book of, of Genesis chapter 25 verse 10 is, is, is kind of the end in the book of Genesis. But over 300 times in the Bible, Abraham is mentioned. And he's mentioned in all these different books. Uh, uh, he's mentioned in Joshua, 1 Chronicles, uh, ne- Nehemiah, Psalms, uh, Acts, Rome, Romans, Galatians, James, 1, uh, 1 Peter. And he's all the way through the Bible. And when the Bible sp- talks about Abraham, it's always in the context of the man of faith. Now, Abraham was a first generation believer. And I want to share this with you today as a word of encouragement because some of you did not grow up in a Christian home. Some of you didn't grow up in a household of faith. Maybe your parents never took you to church. Maybe you never read the Bible. Maybe that's a decision that you made as you moved into adulthood. And maybe you're wondering, can I be a person of great faith in God if I haven't had this heritage and this upbringing? And the answer is absolutely yes. Because Abraham's father was a man by the name of Terah, and he's described in the book of Genesis chapter 11 as a man who worshipped many other deities. He was polytheistic. He, He did not know the God of the Bible. So everything that Abraham learned about God, he had to learn directly from the Lord and by himself. You can be a great person of faith even if you did not grow up going to church. Even if you did not grow up with the spiritual foundation and heritage that maybe you want your children to have. You can still do it. And Abraham is a great reminder uh, for us about that. He's a first-generation believer. Now look at a couple of verses about the faith of Abraham. Genesis 15, verse 6 says this, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And over in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, it says, He did not waver in unbelief in God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Listen, when you have a great faith in God, you will draw strength to endure and to face what you're going through. It's amazing how faith will ignite power and strength and unbelief will literally suck the life out of you. And the reason that Abraham acted so boldly is, man, this guy had a, he had a tremendous confidence in God. Now, faith begins, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, tells us, by the grace of God, we receive salvation by grace through faith. And then as we receive that free gift from God, it grows and matures. It advances. Not everybody is a friend of God. But you know what? If your faith grows like God wants it to, you'll be a person of, of great endearment to the Lord. You'll be close to God. Uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 8, Abraham is called uh, to go to a place that he's never been before. Um, and Hebrews 11 is quoting the story in Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. God tells Abraham, Abraham, you got to move. How many of you know, whenever you're walking with God in faith, you're always moving? (laughs) And this is is synonymous with the life of Abraham. Abraham is always going somewhere. Just just read the story. And God tells him, I want you to move, but I'm not going to tell you where you're going. I mean, come on, man. I mean, it would take faith 
to just pack your stuff up and to move to a known destination. But can you imagine the faith that it took of Abraham? You're going to move and you're going to start walking, but you have no idea what the destination is. That's some faith. Can you imagine the conversation that Abraham had with his wife, Sarah? Hey, baby, I need you to pack everything up. Okay, honey, where are we going? I have no idea, but we're going to leave everything we've ever known before. We're going to leave our homeland. We're going to leave family. We're going to leave friends. We're going we're gonna to just start walking, and God's going to lead us. I mean, can you just imagine how that went over? I, I don't know. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I'm just thinking in my mind, like, this is a, this is a tall order. But he does so in faith, and God leads him to the land of Canaan, that we know today as the Holy Land in the land of Israel. Um, now, the, the city of Ur that Abraham is from, everybody say Ur. Ur. Now, does that sound like a sophisticated place? Not, not very sophisticated. Actually, though, archaeologists tell us it was, it was the most advanced city uh, at that time in the world. Okay, they've done archaeological digs in ancient Mesopotamia. They've discovered that this this city was like world class, man. They had big, huge homes. Um, Archaeologists have even found plaster on the wall that regulated the temperature of the homes. This was like super advanced, super advanced for, for thousands of years ago. Okay, this is Ur. And people are wealthy, people are prosperous, there's plenty of food, there's plenty of water. This is a great place to live. And God says, you know what? I want you to pack it all up. You got this big house, this big fat house. You got all these servants. You got money. I want you to just leave all that behind. And I want you to go live in a dirty, smelly tent with all of your animals. Most people would look at that and say, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound very good. And you know, sometimes comfort can be the enemy of faith. And some of us today may not be doing what God has called us to do simply because it is not comfortable. Faith is never comfortable. The enemy of faith is, is, is ease. It is I got the job. I got some money in the bank. I'm not sick. My family's doing okay. Everything's good. Why do I need to live by faith? Abraham packed all of his stuff up. And he began to move because of his great confidence in the Lord. And faith is always moving. What are you not doing right now that God has called you to do? What is it? Can you step out in faith and do what he's, what he's asked of you? The greatest test, though, of Abraham's life probably was sacrificing his own son, Isaac, on the altar. In Genesis 22, God tells him, hey, listen, Abraham, I want you to take the one and only son that you have, and I want you to put him on an altar, and I want you to make a sacrifice to me. Now, to give a little context, Abraham doesn't even have the child of promise, Isaac, until he's 100 years old, okay? His wife is 90-something. The Bible makes it very clear. She's beyond childbearing age, if, if, you, if you get my drift. This is not like normal physiologically. So he's only got one son of promise, okay, Isaac. 
And God, do you remember all that we went through to just have Isaac? And now you want me to put him on the altar? I mean, this defies logic. How many of you know when you live by faith, God will ask you to do things that are not logical? Amen? It's just not logical. Now, in Sunday school, I used to see little pictures of this story. And it would have Abraham, you know, with the knife on Mount Moriah. And he, Isaac would be strapped down. And Isaac would be like a five-year-old. Okay? And I could, you know, you're just kind of like, okay, you know, maybe this is like fun and games with daddy. Come on, lay right here. Let me strap you down. And I got my play knife and let's play, Isaac. But when you really read the text, you see that Isaac is a grown man. He's probably 25 or 30 years old. So we could talk about the faith of Abraham, but we could also talk about the faith of Isaac. (laughs) Dad, you're going to do what to me? What did God tell you to do? But you know what? When you have godly parents that are setting the way of faith, oftentimes kids will follow. So we, we could talk a whole lot about the faith of Isaac, too, maybe in another time. But this, this supreme act of faith is mentioned throughout the scripture. And, of course, God stops him before he takes the life of his own child. But in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that Abraham had so much faith, he just believed that God would raise him from the dead if he actually took his life. Now, that's some faith. And listen, if we want to be a friend of God, we need to be a person that is growing in our faith. Here's the second thing. Fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship is is relationship. It's connectivity. And all the way through the story of Abraham, God and Abraham are always talking. They're just always together. I mean, it's kind of funny. You just start reading the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis. And I mean, God's there and he's talking to him and Abraham's talking to God. And they're just, they're just, they're just together, man. Let me give a few examples. In chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abraham, that's when he, he calls him to move. In the chapter 15, verse 33 through 4, Abraham continued, Look what you have given me, no offspring. So a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, the one who comes from your own body will be your heir. God's telling him, It's not Ishmael, it's Isaac. And then in chapter 18, verse 1, the Lord appears to Abraham at the oaks of Mamre. And, and so we just see like, and I'm just quoted a few, but, but, but God and Abraham are always together. They have fellowship. If you want to be close to God, you got to, you got to draw close to God in and through fellowship. You got to be connected to God. You got to pray. You got to talk with God. You got to commune with God. You got to worship God. When you do that, you, you build that, that, that connection, that closeness. Now, um, I was laughing. We were uh, in Texas uh, just recently visiting some family, and my um, wife is an identical twin. Some of you know that. And her twin sister has come to church before, and some of you have gone up and talked to her just like she was Gina, you know? And my sister-in-law is very gracious, you know, and she's always like, well, you know, I'm the twin sister and all that, and people are always freaking out and all that. Now, you can tell them apart a little bit now because their hair is different. That's the main thing. But they are identical. I'm talking identical. One time I asked my father-in-law, what's the greatest difference between Gina and Ginger? And he said, the men that they married. (laughs) I thought that was funny. 
My wife and her sister, they are so much alike. They took all of the same classes in high school. They were college roommates. They, they took all the same classes. They had the same major. They dated guys that were friends. They are thicker than thieves. They can finish each other's sentences. They, they are so intuitive. I love my wife. We've been married more than 20 years. I know my wife very well. And yet my sister-in-law knows things about my wife. And I'm like, that is creepy. They are so close. I was talking with my brother-in-law and we were joking about how our wives actually pack the car on a vacation the exact same way. And it's no other way. It's this certain way. And, and it's just crazy how, how common it is. I mean, when we first started dating, sometimes I would get mixed up between the two. And that's a weird feeling. If you're dating somebody and you're like, is it her or is it her? You know, it's just kind of odd. But they've spent so much time together and they've been together so long and they have so, so much closeness that they can finish each other's sentences. I mean, they, they, they have a oneness, they have a connectivity. And I was thinking this week, when we walk with God in faith, we'll begin to talk like God. When we get close to God, our thoughts will begin to be the thoughts of God. Our attitude will be like the attitudes of God because we've been with him so much and he's rubbed off on us so much. That's the God that we serve. And God wants us to be close to him. Uh, in, in, in Genesis 18, God comes and he meets with Abraham. He spends half a day with him. He brings two angels this is what we call a Christophany in Scripture, which is where Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. And without getting into a long explanation about that, um, the examples there in Genesis uh, chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 8. But Abraham is fellowshipping. He's spending time with, with God. And God's spending time with him. And the angels then continued... Uh, on their journey to Sodom to save Lot and his family from destruction. And since Abraham was God's friend, God accepted his pleading and was motivated by his influence. And that comes through connectivity, uh, through fellowship. Uh, God is not a respecter of persons. And God, if, if Abraham could be connected to God like this, I know that you can too. Isn't that beautiful? So faith and fellowship are a huge part of friendship with God. Let me give you two more very briefly. Fear, the fear of God. Now the fear of God sounds like the opposite of fellowship because fellowship is, is like God's my friend and I'm going to get close to God and you know we're tight and all that. The fear of God sounds contradictory. Like why would I be, af why would I be afraid of God if I'm... If I have fellowship with God and if I'm close to God. But when the Bible speaks of the fear of God, it doesn't mean that we're literally afraid of God. But it means that we have a reverence or an awe of God. And my old pastor used to say, the fear of God, walking in the fear of God, is not the, not the concern that God is going to squash me with the hand of retribution. But it is that God would take his hand of blessing off of me. And the fear of God is reverence. It's awe. And we've lost that in the 21st century. We don't really have, uh, most of the time, like 
a, a sense of awe for the greatness of God. Um, when when uh, John uh, the Revelator wrote about the resurrection of Jesus, it says he fell at Christ's feet as though, they, though he were dead in the Gospel of John. Moses, uh, when he came into the presence of God, he said no man can look upon God's glory and live. There was awe. There was respect. And in Genesis twenty two twelve, 12, the Bible speaks of that. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. And when we fear God, we revere God. We live in awe of God. We have a respect for God. And that's a huge part of being God's friend. It's a huge part of it. Uh, we honor we respect, we revere, and we draw close to God in and through that. It sounds contradictory. It sounds um, counterintuitive, and yet it is a reality. And in, in Psalm 25, verse 14, it says, The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. So if we want God to speak into our life, if we want God to teach us, it starts with the fear of God. Another passage says that the fear of God is what? It's the beginning of all knowledge. If you want to have wisdom, if you want to have, if you want to have insight, it starts with a healthy respect and, and a reverence and an awe of God. Um, Proverbs chapter 9 verse 1 says, But we live more with the fear of man than we do with the fear of God. So we feel like we have to have a need for approval, a need for acceptance, a need for some type of recognition, a need, uh, or we have the fear of criticism or the fear of humiliation, and these things get in the way of the fear of God. We should fear God way more than we fear what people say about us or what people think about us. If you're feeling discouraged by some critique or criticism, go back and remember what God says about you. Finally, um, it's our fellowship. Um, the fourth mark of, of a, of a friend, friendship with God, fellowship. Fellowship means our capacity and our ability to follow the things that God has asked us to do. In John 15, uh, the scripture says, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. And if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And then in verse 12, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. And I want you to see this in verse 14. Look at it. You are my friends if you do what I have commanded you. Amen. <laughs> I mean, how do we really know if we're a friend of God? He says, if you do, not if you know, not if you think about, not if you entertain the thought of, if you do what I've asked you to do. That's how, that's the measuring stick. Do you love me? If you love me, it's measured by what you do. Are you doing what I've commanded you? And so to do what, what Jesus has commanded us, number one, we got to learn the commandments of God. 
Because if we don't know what the commandments are, then how in the world would we ever be able to follow through with the things that God has asked us to do? So we've got to learn God's commandments. And by the way, um, as we kick off a brand new year, what a great time to set some spiritual goals, maybe in Bible reading, maybe in your own devotional life. Um, reading through the Bible would be an awesome thing this year, would it not? Um, I'm in the middle of the two-year Bible. I was doing the one-year Bible, and you know, it was, it was a bunch of chapters every day, and I was like, you know, I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to do the two-year Bible. So I'm like, I'm like 18 months into the two-year Bible right now. But you know, whether you read the Bible in a year or two years, or, or whether you do some other Bible reading plan, that's, that's fine. That's great. The point is that we're in the Word of God. And when we're in the Word of God, then we learn God's commandments. And we learn what God wants us to do. And then we got to do what we know is right. Because just because we know it doesn't mean that we practice it. I mean, if we're all honest with ourselves, there's some things in the Bible that we know are God's truth and what God has asked us to do. And we're not moving on those things. And Jesus says, if you love me, it'll be measured not in what you know, but in what you do. It's in the practice of it. It, it, it. It's in the discipline of it. So when God sets standards for dating and marriage, we follow him because we trust him. Now see, if you don't trust God, then, then you certainly are not going to do what he says. So we, we, we got to trust God. But when we trust God, it's measured and it's revealed in, in the doing of the things that we know God wants us to do. Following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Maybe sometimes God just impresses you through the, through the presence of the Holy Spirit to say something or to do something. And normally you wouldn't do that, but you felt the Holy Spirit stirring you to do that. You, you got you to do it. When you trust God, you'll follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries about ourselves. So why are you worrying so much? Did you know we've been commanded by God? Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 6. Stop worrying. Now, do, do, do we take Jesus' commands at face value or not? What would our life be like if we worried less? What if we prayed more? What if we depended upon God more and we quit worrying about all the stuff. By the way, most of the stuff that you're worrying about, you can't control anyway. Jesus says, stop worrying. Stop it. That's why we got to follow his commands. Uh, be content with where you are. Luke chapter 3 verse 14 says, be content with your wages. Sometimes we can look around and go, I want more. Look around and see other things that other people have. I want that. I want that. I want that lifestyle. I want that house. I want that car. I want that whatever. And there can be kind of a discontent in our own spirit. Man, God warns us about that. Jesus said, go the extra mile. Jesus said, keep your word. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. These are all commands. How do we know that we're a friend of God? We do the things that God has asked us to do. Um, if you go back and you look 
at Genesis 11, 31 and 32. Um, Terah, the father of Abraham, took his son Abram. He was Abram then because his name got changed later. So that's not a typo. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, and his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there, and Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. And you may wonder, what in the world does that have to do with anything? When you read the whole story, you see that the land that they settled in, the land of Haran, is halfway to the land of Canaan. So if you look at where they are, Ur, everybody say Ur. Ur to Haran is 400 miles. Haran to the land of Canaan is 600 miles. So Terah was told by God, Abraham was told by God to move, but he stopped halfway. And I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, you know, how many times do we stop halfway to our destiny? Terah did half of what God said to do. I'll do half of it. I'll do part of it so I don't feel so bad. But don't ask me to do all of it, God. So Abram, when his father dies, completes this 1,000-mile journey. And he goes into the land of Canaan because he didn't want to, to set up a pit. He didn't want to turn a pit stop into a permanent home. Sometimes we're in a place because we're just passing through. We don't want comfort and ease to, to, dest to destroy our faith and moving on. And God just planned for them to be there a little while, not to, not to be a permanent destination. But you know, there's a destiny for your family. There's a destiny for our church. There's a destiny for you personally. And God wants us to walk with him and to follow him in such a way that we don't stop halfway to the destination that he has for us. How can we be a friend of God? We live by faith. We live by fellowship. We live by fear. And we live by fellowship because our real love for God, our closeness to God, our friendship with God is seen not just in what we know, but in what we do. Our challenge this year is that we would become the friends of God. Would you pray with me for just a moment?